Hey, this is Gina Grad. Hi, this is Teresa Strasser. Hi, everyone. This is Mike Errico. Hey there. This is Casey Cavalier. I'm Rocky Rose. And you are listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Lucky you. Welcome to The Jay Franzi Show. A behind-the-curtain look at the entertainment industry with insights you can't pay for and stories you've never heard. Now, here's your host, Jay Franzi. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to the show. I am Jay Franzi, and this is your backstage pass to the entertainment industry. This week, we get to talk with a couple of authors. We get to talk with Jay Watson and Kyle Wiltshire. We'll talk to them about the inspiration behind their latest book, The Dead Rock Stars, what the writing process was like, and we'll take a look at the role that humor plays in their writing. Now, these are two amazingly creative guys, and I can't wait to talk with them tonight. So if you would like to join in, comment, or fire off any questions, please head over to jfranzi.com. Now, let's get started. Jay, Kyle, my friends, how are you? Doing great, man. How are you doing? I am fantastic. A little chilly, but fantastic. Kyle, sir, how about you? Doing great, man. And it's excited to be here with you guys. It is a little, a little cold. Not as cold as it has been, but still kind of cold tonight. All right. Well, we can't go on tonight complaining about that. So let's just go ahead and jump <laughs> right in. Let's start with the inspiration. This is a unique concept of rock stars faking their deaths and becoming secret agents. So Kyle, let's start with you. Can you give me a little background on it? Sure. Yeah. Jay and I, man, we've been friends since uh, college and oftentimes we would exchange ideas. We, we just love pop culture. We love movies and stories and, you know, TV and one day, you know, I, I'd been chewing on this idea for a while, but I, I kind of mentioned it to Jay. I was like, Jay, what do you think about this? And I kind of spit out the idea. Hey, what if all these famous rock stars that tragically died too soon, what if they didn't die? What if they faked their deaths to become secret agents? And that kind of was the you know initial pitch, if you will. And Jay was like, let's do it. Let's do it. He was very excited about it. Jay, what did you say? I always love it when you when you uh, when you share. Yeah, Kyle and I have pitched a lot of ideas as far as each other, and, and it always came out of the, the impetus, which was, I think we can do this better than they did it, you know? And it's a famous thing that everybody thinks and everybody feels, and we kind of had those moments where we'd come up with ideas like, why did they do this in this book, or why did they do this in this movie, or why didn't they, you know? And Kyle has a, a particular gift for plot holes, and so we always <laughs> talked about that stuff. And I remember Kyle pitching me this idea. I remember where I was and everything. And I paused on the phone for a little bit. And I think it made you nervous, right, man? Oh, yeah. I was like, okay, maybe this is a bad idea. I don't know. <laughs> and I just remember saying very clearly, Kyle, that is not a million-dollar idea. That could be a billion-dollar universe. I mean, that is a idea in a world that would be a lot of fun to play around in. Let's step back for just a second. What college did you guys meet at? We went to uh, Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. It's kind of midway between uh, Memphis and uh, and Nashville. I'm from Nashville. I'm a Nashville boy through and through. Kyle grew up in 
towards the teenage years of his life, grew up in Bartlett, Tennessee and Memphis. And so Jackson was kind of that halfway spot. And uh, we met there his freshman year, my sophomore year. And we've kind of been thick as thieves ever since. For sure. That's cool. I I know both areas really well. My wife's family is from Jackson, and we actually got married in Paris. It sounds impressive until you find out it's Paris, Tennessee. Yeah. (laughs) And we've been there, too. (laughs) That's okay. What majors did you guys study? Yeah, I did broadcast communications with a minor in ethics. I wanted to be Jay Franzi when I grew up. I wanted to have my own talk show. That's what I wanted to do with my life. (laughs) Luckily, you get off that path. (laughs) <laughs> well, that sweet that sweet spot between Johnny Carson and Arsenio Hall, I was all about that. So that's what I wanted to do with my life. Nice. That's awesome. Kyle? My major had nothing to do with uh, with what uh, what we've done here. My major, actually, pretty obscure major, was Christian ethics is what I majored in in college, minor in psychology. So does um, any of that apply to, to what you do now? It does, yeah. I'm actually an editor now uh, by trade didn't study English or any of that stuff. I'm more of a content editor. So it's the, the big picture, you know, does this make sense? That's that sort of thing. Working with authors to, to edit their stuff. All right. So you get together, you pitch this idea. What was the next step after you pitched the idea? Jay was the convincer. Jay is, you know, more entrepreneurial. I'm the you know, I'm the chicken, you know, I'm like, Oh, I don't know, man. I'm the guy that gets to the edge of the diving board and just waits. Someone's got to push me off before I get in the pool. I've been shoving Kyle since 97, 96, 97, 96. You've been pushing me in the pool since 1996. Yeah. He was like, Hey, let's, let's, let's map this out, you know? And so we, we met in person, we mapped a few, a few chapters out and I I was skeptical at first. And, but, you know, I was excited about the idea. We got together, mapped out the first few chapters of the book. It was like, Hey, I think, uh, I think we're onto something. Well, tell me about that process. Kyle, is great about the idea, but when it comes to that jumping off the diving board, he's so hesitant. And so I pitched the idea of, hey, man, let me just write the first two chapters and let's just see what happens. And if you like it and it gets you excited, then maybe you write a couple and let's just see what we've got. And so we put kind of some artificial deadlines on ourselves and said, okay, in two weeks, I'm going to give you these two chapters. And we had never written anything like this before. So we decided that we wanted to make it each chapter about 25 to 30 minutes long. We knew that a, a single space Ro- Times New Roman 12 font on a one <laughs> sheet of paper is five minutes. And so I tried to write about six pages just like that. And that was kind of where we started with a chapter. We, we, we knew some general ideas, some main characters and some uh, uh, where we wanted to go generally. But like there was just a whole bunch of stuff we just didn't know when we started. I wrote the first two chapters and Kyle didn't hate it. And so he started writing some. <laughs> and before it was over with, we made it to that whiteboard. We we're like, okay, this is really fun. Like who knows if anybody will ever read it, but we have to, we have to try, we have to do something. And so we started and we picked up and I think we got the first 10 chapters out pretty quick before we hit a little bit of a, a dry spot. I think. That's funny. It takes five minutes to read a page. Probably take me, 20 minutes to read a page. I read so slow. I <laughs> uh, see single space, 12 font. That's a lot of words. <laughs> so you guys are, you're doing this, you're, you're passing these chapters back and forth. How important is structure when it comes to the way you guys are writing together? I would say structure is, is, is important, especially when you're talking about two authors, because 
you need to kind of know where you're going. You don't want to write something and then it'd be completely, oh, well, this doesn't go along with what he was writing. He took the story in a kind of a different direction in the previous chapter. So now I've already written this chapter and it doesn't fit. So, you know, we had to kind of, you know, take it a very structured process. So that's why we really did bite-sized chunks, maybe four to six chapters at a time to kind of keep it easy to do that. Like you said, we would exchange the chapters, we'd edit one another, we would we would fight the things we had to fight about, we would, you know, review the things that needed to be reviewed or, or rewrite or, you know, all that stuff. So much to the point that, you know, I mean, we can probably remember who had the original, who wrote the original chapter, but after both of us have worked on it back and forth several times for every chapter in the book, really, you know, it's both and. We both wrote every chapter, even if we didn't sit down to write the initial draft. And we also took... Um got on the whiteboard and I know it's kind of weird because you're like, why would you put stuff on the whiteboard? Whiteboard's a whiteboard, right? It's blank. And so we <laughs> took uh, four by six sticky notes and we'd write the chapter heading. We'd write the main idea of what we wanted to happen. And if there was any kind of sub thing or something where it needed to go a certain place in the plot, we kind of put these chapters up and then we would throw our initials down on which ones were interesting to us. And early on, I was really good at action and Kyle was really good at kind of uh, the details of, of where a story is going and kind of plot uh, development. And as we moved along, Kyle got excited about writing some action. I got excited about trying to figure out how to describe the inside of a plane hanger that I'd never been to in my life and, you know, what that would feel like and what it would look like. And we, we learned quite a bit very early because we, we didn't know what we didn't know. And so we would write it. It made sense to us. And then you go back and read it. You'd be like, oh, that like, uh, how many steps did it take for them to get to X or Y? <laughs> how far away were they? Like, what does an airplane ha hangar actually look like at a private airfield? Like, are we, are we crazy, you know, in what we're saying? <laughs> and sometimes it would be like, you know, somebody moved 600 feet in two seconds. And you're like, wait a second, we got we to gotta, we gotta adjust this a little bit. <laughs> That's too funny. The reason I asked that question to begin with is, I've been part of four books now. I've written three on my own and one with a partner, similar to what you guys have done. But mine were more educational style books. So there really wasn't story development, but it was still hard to coordinate. And you say, okay, you write this chapter, I'll write this chapter. But like you said, we bleed over and yep. you, you get into each other's work and you start making changes or corrections or thoughts and just adding things. So that relationship, did you guys have that collaborative relationship when it came to that, Kyle? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like we've had some people ask us, you know, did it did it affect your friendship? Or, you know, I would say it made us stronger friends because we learned how to communicate with one another in a way that we hadn't before. No, we didn't. We didn't come in and like, you know, kick gloves or anything. But, you know, like we, we, we were honest with one another. But at the same time, you know, we'd be uh, specific. Like, I don't really like this. Can we tweak it? Can we change it? Or, you know, even down to the micro level, sometimes like that sentence, I don't, you know, I don't like that sentence. Well, let's rewrite it. And the, the beauty of it was both of us, our goal was not who's going to get any kind of credit one over the other. It's completely 50 50, the whole thing. Our goal was let's write a great story. Right. And if a plot point that I'm really passionate about helps make it a great story, then we'll keep it in. But if it doesn't, then we'll delete it. We worked like that. We trusted one another. You know, we built in our ability to, uh, we feel like, discern, like, you know, what is good? What is what is bad? Is this a good story? Is this, you know, is this helpful? Is this, you know, the, all those things. So, yeah, it was really, it was really important, that trust factor. 
and the growth in, you know, how we could, how we could work together to create it. Jay, is he telling the truth there? Uh, mostly. Oh. I, I would, uh, I would also <laughs> say that Kyle and I's background and our history and our work, we've done a lot of similar things that you've done as far as writing books. And that's a really tedious experience because for one, you don't want your, your peers to pick apart your work and feel like you messed up in some way. And for what Kyle and I have done in our past, uh, there's a lot of that where you're dealing with uh, ancient text or you're dealing with something so important that you really, their structure is significant. And one of the things that was like a breath of fresh air for us was this idea of fiction. Because you can make up anything you wanted, you know, when it came to the structure, there was a structure, but at the same time, you know, if we wanted to invent whatever we could, like, you know, you make up a person there, however you want right. that person to be. And so there was a lot, it was very liberating to be able to do that together. I think that as far as our relationship, when it came to working, you called us a couple earlier and I would say we're friends. I don't know that we're a couple, but we, we did, we did learn a lot about each other. And I think we learned a, a lot about ourselves, uh, our insecurities, our fears, you know, when it came to my pushing and Kyle, like Kyle's called it gas and brakes before when we talked about this, I'm the gas, he's the brakes. There'd be times where he got really upset with my gas and I got really ticked off with his brakes because I'm like, why are you doing this? And so like those conversations really did help us to become better friends. And I think early on, we were a little bit more protective of the thing that we hadn't invented yet. And so we'd write a chapter and there's this paragraph or this idea or this concept that one of us liked and the other hated. And we ended up spending days talking about this thing. And before it was over with, I go to Kyle and be like, Hey, I really like this thing. He's like, okay, if it's important to you, let's put it in because it's fiction. I mean, like it's, it's okay. If you wanted this to happen, well, then we can make that happen. And so there was a lot of freedom for us in being able to do whatever we want, as long as it made sense to the story and the continuity of how things click together. And so, you know, our chapters did bleed into each other in such a way where, like, like Kyle said, I don't know which sentences I wrote and which I didn't. Now I can remember some of the jokes I wrote, but other than that, like, <laughs> I don't remember a lot of, of the actual right. who wrote what. Kyle, my friend, he mentioned insecurities in, in hotspots. Apparently one of those is being a couple. So did you have any of these, <laughs> these challenges working with, with somebody who didn't want to admit that he was being part of a couple with you? I mean, you guys are a couple of writers. Yes, we, we are. are. It's, right. it's a creative First marriage. step is to admit it, Jay. I just want to A say creative it. marriage. That's exactly creative right. Creative marriage. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anytime, anytime you put, you know, an art into the world you know, something you've written, something you've created, something you've made, you just want people to like it. You know, you want people to appreciate it and enjoy it. And so there's a whole lot of insecurities of putting something out. And on top of that, you know, the people in our story, the bulk of them were real people, you know, and they had real stories. And a lot of them died in, in really tragic ways. And our story, we try to be sensitive to, to some of those things. Um, but at the same time, fully lean into the fact that, man, it's fiction. It is, this is not real. You know, there's, there's no way Elvis Presley could do any of this because truthfully he isn't, he's not with us anymore. Regretfully. Uh, I, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to believe that yet. Just letting you know. No, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's dive into the, into the book just a little bit deeper here. And let's talk about the, the time frame. 
So how important was the time frame to you guys when you were writing the book? We have a friend who says, no one should write a book before they're 40. And it has a little bit to do with just experience, right. knowledge, understanding. Makes sense. And for us, we wanted to be able to, to write something in a time that we were pretty confident we knew. And so 1999 for us was a very vivid part of our past and our history and our lives. I was just graduating college. Kyle was just about to graduate college. I was getting married and there were just events that were happening in the world where everything was kind of coming alive in a lot of ways and information was just flowing. And so because of that, we really thought that 1999 was a very interesting time to be able to launch this world because you know, in the, in the alternative history that we've built, this secret organization has been around since the 1800s. And so because of that, it could go in and out however we wanted it to go. And so 1999 was a great spot because it was, uh, these agents had been doing this for a little while. It was a very defined moment in time that uh, kind of put everything together in such a way that we knew we could tell a story and we could be experts on a time and be able to kind of merge these people who didn't exist at that time. Like, what would it be like if Elvis is essentially 60 years old in 1999 and Elvis Presley's leading the DRS? Like, what can a 60-year-old do? And, and you know, uh, as we started this book in 2018, there were rumors about uh, Harrison Ford doing Indiana Jones at like 80 years old. And you're like, well, I guess if uh, Han Solo can do it, then Elvis can, can Elvis be can 60 and be an action hero. Well, that's a good a good point that you mentioned, Jay. That you're an expert on the time frame because you lived it, you experienced it. You were getting married, you were graduating, you were going through all these life experiences as well. How did those affect the stories of your portions of the book? I mean, I, I would say our our lives are very much uh, kind of reflected in the book in in the early one of the early chapters. Our, our protagonist, who's not a real person, his name is Cole Denton. He's 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 the the real only fictional character, uh, the main character. But um, his apartment described is exactly what my apartment was like. <laughs> I mean, we described his bachelor apartment the exact way that my bachelor apartment looked like it in that time, with with roommate and everything. The way we had our our TV set up, and you know, and the the. the the almost uh, monk style living quarters that we had and just like a bed, wow. you know, a handful of shirts in the closet, you know, that sort of thing. So it, it very much reflected, you know, what our lives, what my life looked like it being, I was, I was not married at that time, uh, what it looked like. So it, it definitely, it definitely came into, came into play in our story. So your stuff is definitely coming into play. Oh, Jay, how about you? What kind of things made it into the book? Yeah. So there's a nice little element of romance in our story. And you've oh, got. No. Uh, See, this is a guy that doesn't want to talk about being a couple, and now he's talking about romance. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Jay. My hypocrisy knows no bounds. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I, we wrote this love story, and the way the interactions are, the things that happen, the conversations that are had, it may not be exactly what we experienced, but it is very similar. And so, dialogue, and also the. You know, Cole Denton at the beginning of our story is searching for purpose. He's searching for connection. He's searching for family. And I think that's been a big part of our lives. I mean, I think everybody wants to experience some type of purpose. They want to do something that's important. I think uh, the difference is I think people have dreams. They just rarely actually chase them. No, I see that every day. I mean, I think that's very important. 
Kyle, when you guys are putting the book together, do you feel like this is chasing a dream? Man, absolutely. I think when you start off with a, a task like writing a book, even even you know, even though you, we wrote it together, you think to yourself, "Can we really do this? Can we really get this thing to the finish line?" And you know, even though uh, there's two of us to sh- share the work, you know, so to speak, there's still some, you know, there's still some some fear. And you know, I think Jay mentioned in the beginning, you know, our our passion for for entertainment and movies and, you know, and, and TV and stuff. And we, we always just sort of looked at those things and went like, man, I'd love to do that. And so it's kind of been a dream to create something like that, that people could enjoy that takes people and puts them into another universe, another world that may resemble ours, but, it, but it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's imaginary. And, you know, it's just kind of, kind of a dream. And truthfully, we wrote a book because we didn't know how to write a movie. We'd love to have written yeah. a movie, but, but we had <laughs> yeah. no idea. And it's easier to get a book made than to get a movie made. So like, let's, yeah. let's just write a book. So we wanted to put something in the world and it definitely was a dream come true to make it happen. We had two very specific goals. One was to be published by a publisher. That was important to us for some reason. We wanted to give away the, the bulk of our- <laughs> Give away all my money. Yeah, we want to give away the bulk of our uh, our funds, and the other one is tightly related. We wanted to break even, so uh, those are kind of the big goals that we had for this book. But also, we wanted to tell a story that was completely and totally fun. There's just not much of that in the world right now, and uh, I, I wouldn't say there's much of an agenda to our story. I would say that our story <laughs> is just pure fun, ri- ridiculous fun. Uh, that was fun for us. It was a release for us. The bulk of when this book was completed was during the pandemic. And uh, for us, it was a it was a wonderful escape. And it was a time where we could dream a little bit and had time to, you know, think about an alternative world that pulled us out of where we were at the time. And so it was a lot of fun to us. It was a dream that we've always had. And it mattered to us to make sure that the story was airtight. It made sense. And we wanted you to be surprised. We didn't know want you to know who the uh, antagonist was or, or right. the uh not the protagonist the i don't know what you want to call him. yeah we don't we don't want to call him the bad guy right kyle <laughs> not a bad guy he has yeah. he sees the world through a certain lens you know yeah. or she or she sees the world through a or, certain lens yeah 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 well that's fine i mean you guys mentioned it not being a movie but it's a lot easier to turn a a book into a movie so there's still there's still hope but you mentioned a couple of things there I want to touch on. Jay, real quick, you mentioned humor and you mentioned writing jokes earlier. So was humor a big part of your writing process? And can you give us an example of a piece that made it into the book? Um, man, that's a good question. Kyle, you'd be thinking about that as well. Sure. I think that, I think that uh, yeah, one of the jokes that I really loved to write was, so Cole is a tech star. He is a famous technology star that is an up and comer in the world. And in 1999, you had the Zuckerbergs and you had the Elon Musk and you had the, you know, the, the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs for that matter. They were changing the world. They were the most influential people in the world at that time. And so we, we created a version of that person and that person got to be the lens through which we entered into this universe. And there's a particular chapter where Cole is about to go visit the netherworld, which is the home base for the DRS. And if I'm giving away too much, Kyle, just, uh, (laughs) you know, just shoot me, I guess. But well, I find the mute button. Yeah. But Jimi (laughs) Hendrix is flying the plane 
And Cole begins asking all these questions about who is in the DRS and who is he going to meet and what's going on. And so, you know, there's a list of about 20 or 30 things that he rattles off that I just found the funniest thing ever. Like, you know, uh, how big is Biggie? Does Biggie like hugs? And, you know, you just go down this <laughs> this this list and. You know, it, I, I just I loved uh, thinking and 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 I I got to say we probably wrote the joke I see dead people six hundred times in this book we had to edit out because we just thought it was so funny <laughs> and uh, just little things like that 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 aren't knee slappers per se but it's just like what would you do if you were in that moment what would it be like for you to experience and you'd have a million questions and some of the questions would be the dumbest questions ever you know some of them would be pretty important. And to be able to mix the serious and the the significance of trying to save the world with just, you know, some cavalier, let's have fun. These guys were rock stars, man. They they love to take nothing seriously. <laughs> True statement. Kyle, your version. Yeah, humor's absolutely important because, you know, the, the premise is so ridiculous. We you know, we weren't trying to to write a piece of, you know, like uh Russian literature, you know, <laughs> we were trying to do something that's weighty and heavy. You know, we, we took it seriously. We had a lot of fun. We, we, we created what we feel like is a good story. But uh, yeah, we wanted it to be fun. We wanted it to be funny. And something you've already asked about a little bit, but I think it was so fun for us is to put real stories from our college days, some of our college friends, to put some of those real people in, in the story in, in a kind of a, you know, a wink, wink oh, sort of way to some of Easter our friends. Egg. Easter eggs. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And so, there's a couple of jokes that that, you know, we didn't have to write them because we lived them. You know, some things that people actually said, you know, some some back and forth, some exchanges from some friends of ours in college had. So we we just put it directly in the story because we thought, you know, it's funny. Now they're going to want credit. Yeah, they probably will. And they probably credit. will want a little bit of credit, especially <laughs> if it gets made into a movie. There you go. Yeah, oh, yeah. If it does get made into a movie, who do you want the actors to be? We've got a we've got a long list. Yeah. yeah, we got a long list. We we spent a lot of time thinking about it. Do you uh, really? Yeah, for Elvis Presley, I think we had a a lot of fun ideas. One of the things that we thought about was a lot of people have already played these movie stars at different times and different roles. I think one of Kurt Russell's first roles that he ever played in a movie was Elvis in a TV movie. And so really? uh, for yeah. us, we, we kind of thought, what if we started there? What if Kurt Russell was Elvis Presley? I brought up kind of George Clooney, like an Ocean's Eleven take on Elvis Presley. Kyle, you've got a great one for this. Man, for Elvis, my my dream casting would be Robert Downey Jr. Because if you watch that guy when he's not playing Iron Man, he's doing an accent or a voice or he's, you know, putting a, a wig on. You know, he's doing something <laughs> that kind of makes him, you know, not himself. And you know that guy could could do the the Elvis voice without making it uh, too cartoonish. You know, I need a jelly donut. You know, whatever. Like he he could he could pull it off. And so I, that'd be my dream casting would be Robert Downey Jr. as, as Elvis Presley. We talked about for Jimi Hendrix two options, right? I feel like the obvious one, which was Jamie Fox. Jamie Fox, super talented musician. Jamie Fox can do anything, and and that age time might be just right as well. A little bit different body build, but not far off. But Kyle, you had a you had a great one just simply for the reason I mentioned earlier. Yeah, Andre three thousands already played Jimi Hendrix in a in a biopic from about ten or fifteen years ago or so. He'd be fantastic as Jimi Hendrix, I think. And I actually saw a picture of him recently. And he's kind of gray, you know. I haven't seen him in so long. You know, I was like, man, he'd really he could pull it off. He'd look he'd look just like him. <laughs> and we're assuming that Jimmy got gray as he got older. That's 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 our assumption. Uh, we talked about for John Lennon. 
was it Jude Law? Is that right? Jude Law. Yeah, yeah. Jude Law. A little and too then, handsome, but still, he, he could pull off the English yeah, thing, you know, the yeah. glasses. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, for Jerry Garcia, who do we say? Yeah, Jack Black. He would Absol- be perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he's got the big beard now, too. Yeah. Or, or he has had the big beard. Oh, yeah. My favorite of this, though, is is Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison. You know, he played Jim Morrison in The right. Doors, 91, uh, when that movie came out. Show and off. It, yeah, hey, it's my thing. It's my I thing. Know. I know. Uh, but you know, if you if you read our story, you'll see that that Jim Morrison he says one word in the whole in the whole story, and we did that intentionally because Val uh, Kilmer had had throat cancer, so he can't speak very well uh, anymore. And that they wrote that into the Top Gun movie that came out a couple years ago. You know, so we thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if Val could play Jim Morrison again? So let's 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 play to his strength. You know, his acting, and let's you know since he. You know, can't speak very well. Let's just not have him say anything. So that is kind of a, you know one of our dream scenarios. Silence. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Was there anybody else that was like important? I mean, you know, um, uh, oh, Renee Zellweger has always wanted to play Janis Joplin, and I thought she'd be really good as Janis yeah. Joplin. She's yeah, awesome. that's great. I forgot about that one. That's good. She is awesome. I love her. Yeah. So let's talk about the the genres of music. You know, anything other than rock or folk? We've gotten some some pushback in some of our social media, not 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 too badly, but some uh, of who we have defined as rock star. And for us, it's less about the genre of music they make. It's more about their spirit. So, yeah, we've got we've got in our story is also you know, Tupac and, and Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls. So we've got some rappers. Well, rock stars can be more just as much personality as anything else. That's right. Yeah. Jay, you want to add a few? Uh, we've got uh, some country singers, country artists. Um, Give me an example. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to. Uh, <laughs> Jay, this is a, a talk show. We, <laughs> we have to talk. Yeah. And I, I listened in one of your podcasts that you don't actually read books. And so, like, you're not going to know about it anyway. So, I mean, I guess I should tell you. Um, this is true. It's a true statement. I mean... Today, released an episode of my daughter. My nine-year-old daughter came on the show because she got to perform with um, with the ballet here in town, the um, oh, Cincinnati wow. Ballet. So she said now that she's professional, she wanted to come on the show. So we, we did <laughs> yeah. an episode with her coming on the show, and she mentions not liking to read. And I said, well, you know, I don't blame you. I don't like to read either. And I got a whole bunch of comments of people telling me, what do you mean you don't read? This isn't the thing to tell a kid who's going to school and all these things. I'm like, well, I don't like to read because it, it challenges me. It, it's very hard for me to read. It takes, it takes me longer than the average person to read something. That's why I was saying your five-minute page would probably take me 15, 20 minutes to read it if I want to retain any of it. Yeah. But I'm killer at audiobooks. Because I can hear it and it just makes sense. So my workaround, sir, is I now have my computer read the text pages to me. <laughs> hey, no, no judgment. So, yes. no, we're gonna we're working on an audio book in the next couple of uh, months. That's kind of one of our next next goals to get that out. So uh, that'll be just for you, Jay. We'll take no, care. No, I appreciate that. You know, <laughs> Kyle, do you want to share any country artists we got? Oh no, we're back on this. I I, I tried to let it go. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry about that. I mean, that. you guys are there in Nashville. I mean, continuity. If, continuity if, is what we care about, Jay. And that's so, true. I mean, and I, and just... I appreciate that. It makes editing a whole lot easier. <laughs> you guys are living there in Nashville. You got to give me one country artist. One. 
Hank Williams, the senior, not 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 the not junior. Hank I'll, Williams, senior. I'll, I'll take senior. All right. <laughs> so, uh, the book itself was released, and you have chosen to seek out publishing. Now, you've self-published in the past. What was the decision behind seeking publishing now? Yeah, I've self-published a book before, and I did it in about eight weeks, and it was awesome. You know, I got to pick the design. I got to pick everything about it, how many words, whatever. And you you work with uh, the online site that sells books, and um, <laughs> it's easy. And I was able to sell, you know, almost a thousand books on my own. And I made a lot more money than I'm probably going to make on this book just simply because, you know, I got the most of it. But at the same time, I was able to sell it to the people that I knew. And we had a really strong desire to try to get this book out into places that, that, you know, we couldn't. You know, the idea of getting a book in Barnes & Noble was something for us that we just thought was the coolest. And so I, I got to see that recently. You know, you make literally tens and tens of dollars making books. And <laughs> for us, there was just some significance to this story we felt like was a more commercially viable story than other things. And we felt like a publisher could maybe open us up to doors that we, we aren't able to open. At the same time, though, man, it is a murderous process to get a book to even get a publisher to pay attention. I mean, it took us years. And then we kind of stumbled into it, to be honest, because we had done all the things. We had done all the emails. We had worked. We didn't go to one of the shows where you're basically, um, you know, it's like uh, speed dating for books. Right. They've got those things where you go do that. Like, we didn't make it to that, but we were close. Like, we were, we were about to go do that grind uh, just because we, we wanted to make it happen. And uh, fortunately for us, we kind of stumbled into it with a relationship that Kyle had. Yeah, we um, we met some uh, people from Morgan James Publishing, who who is our publisher. It was one of those things where, you know, a friend of a friend kind of situation. My my boss at the time knew some of the publishers over at, at Morgan James and kind of connected us, put us together. And sure enough, the uh, the, the president and founder of, of Morgan James Publishing was actually in Nashville for a conference, and we were able to sit down with him in a hotel and pitch our story. And you know, we spent an hour with him, and we didn't we didn't have a book deal after that hour. But it wasn't but a week or two later that we you know, we had a deal to get the book published. He was that excited about our story, and they had a process by which we had to you know go through and be approved by their you know by their 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 board of directors and so forth. And so yeah, it was it was really happened very fast after after a couple of years of striking out. We we had an agent for about five minutes, five and a half, five and a half, five and a half, five and a half. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, got, got a lot of nose, you know, barked up a lot of trees, you know, asked friends of friends of friends of friends, you know, hey, hey do you know anybody in the publishing industry? How can we get this thing published? And so it kind of came together very, very fast. And it was really felt very providential and fun. I, I'd add a little detail that it came by very, very fast after several years of working to make it happen. Right. Um, exactly. Additionally, we got a little bit of a verbal uh, excitement from Morgan James, but they had this process where. Morgan James is a boutique publisher. They do about 200 copies of books a year that they they produce. And among those, it's mostly trade books. It's mostly um, entrepreneurial, do-it-yourself kind of books. And they do 12 books a year, 12 or 15 books a year that's just fiction. And so a uh, little bit of a tough process to kind of get in there. They have this board that, that votes on it. And then they run it through AI. 
And so we got this like, I don't know, 15, 20 page report about our book, what the uh, what Skynet thought about our book, I guess. And so they, <laughs> you know, they they'd tell us if it was going to be a hit or not, how it lined up with other bestsellers in the genre, what our characters were like, and if the development of the story matched the development of a blockbuster book and all these things that we got to look at. The flow, the dialogue, dialogue versus narrative, dialogue, action versus exposition, all these different things where they they filtered it through this AI. And then Bob's your uncle. You know, you, here, here's the deal if you want it. So that was really, really interesting for us. And there were other pieces of that process that we never really expected. I never expected Skynet to be the one that would approve, uh, right. you know, the dead rock stars. <laughs> Well, that's pretty cool. And again, I mean, first, let's go back to what you said earlier, Jay, about artwork. You were talking about your previous book and having total say in everything, including the artwork. So what was the process for the artwork for this book? Kyle, how, how honest do you want me to be here? Yeah, be honest, man. Okay. Morgan James is a wonderful publisher. And one of the things that they're great about is they – allow us to keep a lot of the things that we are important to us for us. They own the publishing rights, but other than that, we can do kind of what we want. And so we went through a process with them, with their graphic designers and their artists that made a book cover. And it personally offended me like on a deep level. And so I, uh, I ended up calling a favor in for my sister-in-law who is a graphic designer in New York and is just amazingly gifted. And in a couple of weeks, she was able to produce for us this, cover that we have now that's more illustrative and it's uh there's little secret details in all of it so if you look at that book cover there's a few little things in there that are interesting if you, the word the word on a novel it's written in computer code yep the font for the rock stars is a very specific kind of thing in the the first the dead part of it the very top there the dead that's more of a 90s uh, hacker font and then the rock stores is more of that traditional font. If you go up to the skeletons in the front, you'll notice that the skeletons have similar characteristics of people that you might know. Hmm. That's Buddy Holly with his yeah. classic horn rim glasses and his guitar that's his color, and he's playing right-handed. On the right side over there, you've got you've got Kurt Cobain there. Kurt took a lot of pictures in those uh, glasses in different colors, and that is the color of his guitar. And so I would not um, win at this game, sir. <laughs> and if you look if you look up at our little logo there in the middle, if you are a fan of Mr. Presley, you'll recognize his uh, a similar lightning bolt with the three initials that where he puts it. He's got TCB, he's taking care of business in a flash. And so we've got our our DRS up there. And so there's just little hints to all different pieces in the story. Well, that's that's really cool. And I love all the Easter eggs. I'm really glad you guys were able to make that work out. Kyle, let's go back to the, the deal for a second, though. What made the deal enticing to you? Yeah. Well, the, the, what made it enticing is that they said yes. <laughs> you <know? laughs> there you go. <laughs> they said, we will, we will publish this book for you. Uh, you know, like we said earlier, our, our goals were we wanted, to be, we wanted to be published. We wanted to, you know, uh, put it into the world. And uh, the simple fact that they would do that and, and you know, we felt good about the reputability, you know, I mean, they're not like, you know, they're not like Penguin House or, you know, one of the big five, the major publishers, but they're a strong, reputable publisher. And they've, they've, yeah. they've produced some bestsellers, of, some bestsellers, particularly in the, you know, in the business and trade side. But, you know, we want to blaze that trail for them in, uh, in the fiction, the fiction brand 
uh, for their company. But yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't it wasn't about money. It wasn't about like you know uh, this this big fancy deal. It was it was simply the fact that that they they believed in our story. They believed in us. And they gave us a chance and they gave us a lot of freedom. You know, most publishers would not let us pick our cover. Now, of course, they had to approve it, but but we published the cover that we wanted. We also own the rights to the cover art, which is very unique for publishers. Yeah. yeah. I, the, some of their story is is their founder published a book and, and he was very disillusioned by the process because once he got it in his hands... You know, it had been edited so much and it wasn't it, he felt like it wasn't his book anymore. And so when he created Morgan James, he was like, I want to publish the books that the authors want to create. And so there was very little editorial oversight. And what I mean by that is that not that not that we just turned in a, a sloppy book. Right. No, it had to be professionally, perfectly edited. But they didn't come in and say, oh, we don't like this plot point or we don't like this this character. or We don't like what you've done with this or that. They let us, you know, publish the book that we wanted to publish, and we're really grateful for that. They also are an author-friendly publisher when it comes to rights. We own everything that we've created. They own the publishing rights to this book, but we own the movie rights. We own all the other pieces of this, the artwork, the characters, all the different things. And so first-time book deals, they're not like that. They basically clean you out. And so... We really liked the freedom that they gave us, and we allowed the we liked the uh, the way that they worked with us. Um, we got to tell our story. I experienced the same thing, and I relate it back to the music industry. And I said, "Okay, I'm going to self-publish because I want to have control over the book, like you said, over every aspect of the yeah. book." And what ended up happening is I was teaching at the local engineering college, and the students started reading the book. So the school made it part of the curriculum. And then neighboring schools and even schools in Canada started putting it in their curriculum. So once, just like anything else, once it has momentum and starts making traction and people are buying the book, then publishing companies started just showing up. Just like music. Now they want to, oh, we can help you. We can do this. We can do that. No. Well, what can you offer me that I can't do myself at this point? So that was that battle of back and forth. So I can definitely understand how all that that works. But Kyle just mentioned editing. So Jay, what was your experience in the editing of the book? We didn't know what we didn't know. and We didn't know what we were doing. And so for us, when you don't know what to do, you steal from everybody else. And so we went and looked at Harry Potter's first book, JK's first book, the, Harry, the, the very first Harry Potter. And it was roughly... I think 60,000 words or something like that, Kyle. 75,000 75, 75, words. Yeah. And so we had this goal of writing around 75,000 words. Uh, it sounded impossible to us. We had never done anything like that before. And when it was all said and done, we had 100,000 words that we'd written for this story. We hired a, a content editor, and I wasn't very familiar with content editing, which I think technically is your job now, Kyle, right? <laughs> That's what you do? That's what I do. That's what uh, I do for a living now. Yep. But when we started this, it was like, okay, content editor, what does that mean? You know, and, and it was a huge part of our process because to have another set of eyes that would come in and begin to whittle down important parts of the story to its essence, we went from 100,000 words to 92,000 words. So we chopped out two chapters, more or less, of the book that we didn't need, superfluous, extra, like that. Too many words that made said the same thing. You know, we, we kind of... Uh, 
he was able to help us get to the core of what we needed to say and how we needed to say it. He also was really good about making sure that the story flowed from point to point. So for us, the content editing was really important because it helped to, I wouldn't say stream on the story, but I guess just make it more effective. Yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, editing is something I used to do in the music industry, something I do now with these shows. I don't want to take away somebody's creativity, but what I want to do is maximize the good portion of it and make it consumable. And I think editing has a lot to do with how we consume things. I also think that people can be their worst enemies. And so it's one of the nice things about Kyle and I working together we kind of were able to submit to each other in such a way where if I had an idea that I really liked, Kyle had a chance to kind of explain it to me in a way that I didn't think about. And so we got to do a lot of that on our own. And then to have uh, David Webb come in, who was our content editor, David really kind of was able to clarify a lot of things that we're, we re- we've read the chapters a hundred times. And so after you've read everything, it's like, you don't see what's there, what's not there. And he did. A fresh set of eyes was a really big deal. That that collaborative process, I think, can can really make a book exponentially better. Jay, one of my favorite editing stories with David was uh, when we argued for several minutes on text over what type of suplex was being used uh, <laughs> by, by, by two characters in a certain point in the story. Somebody comes and suplexes somebody. We're like, well, is it a German suplex or is it a belly-to-back suplex? You know, if you know anything about wrestling, you know, kind of some of these terms, if you don't. I got to tell you, Jay, I completely checked out of that conversation because (laughs) Kyle and David had lots of those conversations. And I was like, I think we're in good hands. You guys can take care of out What kind of suplex needs to be there? And just because I have to know now, which one did we settle on? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. Honestly, Uh, come on. I think it was I think it was a belly to belly suplex. I think that's what it had been where you hold a gun like this and you flip him you flip him over, throw him on the ground. I think that's what where we ended. And then you do this right afterwards. Right. You, you give a flex. That's what I do with my kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I grab them belly to belly, hurl them down and get up and just feel like a man and then realize, well, yeah. she's three feet tall and she's only nine. <laughs> but that, that's okay. Great. Jay, you mentioned earlier um, the report that AI has given you. Can you tell me a little bit more about the report and what that process was like? Um, it was really scary because you've written a book and you think it's a pretty baby. And then it's getting compared to other babies that actually are pretty. And you kind of think to yourself, like, what have I done? And <laughs> I, I remember being very nervous opening it because it didn't just give you the highlights, but it would talk about like it, it, it gave us a paragraph or two, maybe even a page. I don't remember. It gave us a paragraph or two about every character that we wrote in the story. And it compared the differentiations in their personality, their dialogue and the significance of um, kind of where they fit in the story. There were, there were uh, the flow, you know, they, they, there's a, there's a literal graph between action and dialogue. And, and then over that graph was like, I don't know, bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers, and there's right. the typical flow that they all have. Well, there was our story lining up with it, and, and you start to look at it and go, okay, is this good or bad, Kyle? Like, did we write the same story as everybody else? Or, like, is this saying that it's good? And so you had to kind of work through some of the particular details, but I think that our story came back as, like, having 72% or 75% of 
commonalities with uh, bestsellers in fiction? Uh, it was something like that. But the thing I remember most was that graph. And like, you know, it brought me back to, you know, 10th grade English or whatever. It talks about the rising action and the falling action and the, you know, the peaks and the crests of, you know, of, of the, the plot points of a story. And, you know, when it showed that wave of this is how best-selling books, this is the wave that they, that their story takes. And when ours was exactly the same, well, very similar, I can't say exactly, but it was very similar. We were like, we didn't know to do that. We just did, right. you know, in our, in our passion for, for stories and storytelling, you know, we thought, well, this is when, this is when things need to pick up, or this is when they need to slow down, or this is when we needed to take a time out and develop this character more. This is when we need to really jump back into the story that we haven't said much about, you know, so all those things that kind of played into the story we, we did honestly, instinctively, not because we knew what we should be doing. So it's like what Jay said lots of times, you know, already, we, we didn't know what we didn't know. We just sort of yeah. went on instinct. And so it was just really neat to get a confirmation of, yeah, your instincts were correct as it compares to, you know, other other works of fiction. I don't remember the books that it compared it to, but there were two or three that, uh, yeah. that, that compared our book to, and we were like, whoa, that's awesome. Really cool. We also, uh, I guess there's a... I'm gonna see if I can put this all together to kind of help make sense a little bit. But Jay, you're you're a music guy, particularly production. I recently purchased uh, Rick Rubin's book, yeah. and uh, I've kind of been going through it, different pieces of it. And recently, uh, a friend of mine, my daughter is uh, recording music right now, and we're getting close to finishing her album. And so I've been doing this book, and my 18 year old daughter's been doing this music, and there's been a lot of uh, creativity happening at the at the Watson House lately. And you can understand that with your uh, your burgeoning career in uh, the ballerina yeah. world, the ballet. Yeah. Um, it, it only gets more fun, by the way, man. It only gets more fun. But someone sent me an Instagram reel of Rick Rubin talking about creating art. And I think it's really important for this particular piece when it comes to AI, when it comes to the technology behind it. It shouldn't surprise you, but Rick's point was there's a reason why so many bad movies have been made in the world. And it's because they didn't make the movies for them. They made it for commerce. Right. So they made a story because they thought that most people would like it, but they didn't necessarily make something that they liked. And so for Kyle and for I, I don't want to necessarily put words in your mouth, Kyle, but we wrote a story that we loved. We wrote a story that we could stand behind. We went through and looked at the chapters and we're like, okay, there's a piece missing in here that it doesn't make sense that we've got to go back and we've got to explain this. And so we moved chapters around because it was what mattered to us. What mattered to us was a really great story, a story that was airtight in the sense of it at least was plausible or it made sense and it clicked together and somebody could at least understand the logic and why we chose what we did, whether they agreed with it or not, it's a completely different topic. But for us, we told a story that we wanted to tell. And it was a really nice added bonus that it matched up with these other things, but that wasn't why we did it. Like we did it because we wanted to make something we were proud right. of and we got to do and that. That's the way it should be. Yeah. You mentioned there even again that the commonalities on that report between your book and other books and whether or not that was good or bad. And I think it's good to know that you have things in common with the other books. It'd be different if it was saying your book is similar to these other books, but the commonalities is the way things work. Things have an intro, things yeah. have an outro, and then they have the, the ebbs and flows that go between the two. So I think having those things in common is good. But Kyle, you mentioned something earlier too that made me think you've got AI 
and it is running your book through this process and it's telling you the differences between the characters and it's telling you you know everything that an editor would typically do so do you feel like there's a a disconnect now, the, a little bit of a loss between having a human editor versus a AI editor. I think if you relied on on AI editing solely, like this is the the only process by which you'll do editing, yeah, there'd be a lot lost because AI, while it's it's smart, it's it's artificially smart. It's not creative in and of itself. Right. It can't AI can't come close to the capacity of the human creativity. All it can do is is follow a pattern or an algorithm or say, this is how it should be. And creativity is when you say, this is how it should be, but this is how I want to do it. And the reason I want to do it this way is because I think it's better. And it may not be better on at the, at the start, but it'll be better by the end. And so, I, you know, I think it would be if, if we only used AI, I think that would be, that'd be tragic. Um, you need that human component to come in and say, one of the things that, that our, that, that our editor really helped us with big time is how do we differentiate between the characters. If you just read a sentence of dialogue that someone's saying, how are you going to know who's saying that? So how can you switch it up? How can you know that John Lennon's speaking or Jimi Hendrix is speaking or Elvis Presley speaking? Well, you, you know, we listened to a whole bunch of YouTube interviews and we read interviews and we, you know, we read books about these guys and we thought, I, I think I can capture in the ballpark, in the neighborhood of maybe how they spoke, how they thought, how they processed words they would say, words they wouldn't say. I think that's the key you know, we right did, there. We didn't, we didn't nail, yeah, we didn't nail a bullseye. There's no way you can nail a bullseye. They're, they were dynamic human people. But I think we could. I think we got in the neighborhood uh, with with most of our characters. I hope at least. Well, I think you're dead on. I mean, I think the personality comes in the words that they choose and how they choose to speak and phrase things. So, I know you guys are supporting the book. So, what's it feel like for you guys now to do book signings? Oh, I, I feel like an actor. I feel like, wait, I'm the one who should be standing in line getting someone yeah. else to autograph the book that they wrote. Imposter syndrome for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's <laughs> what I'm wondering. I mean, you guys go into a bookstore now, you you sit there at a table and people are coming up to, to meet you guys. At what point does it start feeling real or does it? Thankfully for us, a good bit of the book signing has been friends and people that care about us or family and so it's been a it's been a soft opening right. for those kind of things. We haven't haven't done a ton of uh, really really public uh, things, and most of the feedback that we're getting from people that we don't know is coming in the form of a review or an email or something like that. And it's a much more palatable experience. It's a little safer in a right. sense, you know, than than out there, you know, standing naked in front of everyone <laughs> and letting them judge you. We get to do that in private, I guess. <laughs> it is not Topless Tuesday. That's one way to Tune say it. Tomorrow for Topless yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. Kyle, how do you feel about the, the signing process? Yeah, it, it's really, really fun, you know, because, again, like Jay said, so much to this point has been in the, in the lead up to the pre-launch and then in the early days of books only been out two months. You know, it has been friends and family who have just – come behind us and supported us and loved us and said, Hey, we're, we are here for you watching, you know, uh, my cousin-in-law at one of our book signings walk out with 10 books. He's like, I got Christmas <laughs> for everybody, you know, like that just, it feels so good to be affirmed in that way. And then, you know, Jay made this illusion earlier when you, you know, you have your own child, you look at it and you think, Oh, this is the cutest baby in the world. And people will lie to you if it's not. 
And so we have we have created this this book, which is like our child, and we think it's awesome. We think it's so beautiful, and it's really really fun and encouraging when others say it's cute as well. And we've had enough at this point where we where we, we feel like people aren't just being nice to us anymore. We've got yeah. some genuine feedback from people who say, guys, this is really good. We really enjoyed this. And that just that just feels really good and really affirming. And, and you know, I know there's there's not everybody's gonna love it. This isn't for everybody. This is a pop culture laden story, but it, we feel like it's 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 a so much fun and it's something that people will enjoy. And uh, so we're just trying our hardest to get it out there into the into the world and, and expose it to as many people as we can. That is really. I've had cool. I've had a lot of uh, a lot of people that surprise me would come up to me and say, "I don't read books. I can't, I haven't read a book in twenty years." And is, is he throwing it back closest, at me again, Kyle? Uh, <laughs> he, he I'm heading be. that way. I'm he heading that be. way. Go ahead. But let's not spoil the the ending here, oh, Jay. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Go ahead. Now you sound uh, like my wife. <laughs> one of uh one of our close friends is not a reader he doesn't read and he took the time to read the book finish it like he actually finished it and then you know told us about how much he loved it and it wasn't like really great job guys i'm so glad you chased your dream it wasn't that it was much different than that it was much more man i was worried this was going to happen and i didn't know this and i tried to figure this out and so those kind of things were were uh, you know, uh, everything we could ever hope for. We got a, we got an email a couple of days ago from a, a person that we've never met before that was writing their top 10 list of books that they read in 2023. And we made the list and it was amongst a lot of other very strange, different books and to, and to not know them, to not know where it came from and to, to see it out there in such a way where they really, really enjoyed the story that's everything for us. You know, we're, we, we want people to have fun. I had a guy who came up to me and said, I have not read a book in 20 years. Um, I hate reading. And I read this book and I read it in a couple of weeks and it was amazing. And for me, I feel like if Byron Boyd can do that, then you can too, Jay. You can do it too. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I waited for it. <laughs> no, you are right, sir. And like I said, I, I find my workarounds. I've got my phone and my yeah, computer to no. read things to me. It's That's it's great. Good. It's sad. I even have my phone read like emails that are like a paragraph long. I'll have my phone read it to me. I'm just that bad of a reader. Uh, I don't know, man. I think that you figured out how to consume information and ex consume knowledge and details. I listened to several biographies through the audible so that I could kind of get an idea of who these people were. I listened to probably, I don't know, 2000 word, 2000 pages on uh, Elvis Presley because he was significant to our story. I spent time learning about the Beatles. You know, you know about right. these people, you have an idea of a caricature of them, but who were they? What motivated did you them? watch Why the did six they do hour them? documentary? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We got up, we got up. Yeah, that's funny. Well, you guys, you both mentioned friends and family at these signings and everything. We do this thing here we call Unsung Heroes, where we take a minute to shine the light on somebody who's supported you behind the scenes. Is there anybody that you'd like to support or shine a little light on, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, one of our, our biggest cheerleaders is one of our best friends from college, a guy named John Carroll. He's the unofficial mayor of Memphis, Tennessee. If you've ever heard of the Choose 901 campaign, He's the mastermind behind that, but he has been such a, an amazing ally and friend and, you know, cheerleader for us 
in so many ways. And we just love him and are so grateful for his for his help and his friendship. He's he's a, he's an expert on so many things that we're clueless about. And we'll call him or text him and he'll you know, he'll help us out. And, you know, he's just helped us in so many ways. So uh, shout out to John Carroll in Memphis, Tennessee. Very cool. Jay, sir. Yeah, we had probably four or five hosts that were willing to open up their home and provide things for us to be able to invite people. And and there was a friend, a mutual friend, a guy that I went to high school with and one of Kyle's closer friends named Brandon Palmore, who he would hate the fact that we even mentioned his name because he (laughs) wanted to help us. But he kind of helped position and frame our understanding a little bit of what we were doing. He helped us to understand that our friends wanted to help us chase our dream. And so we changed our conversation when we heard that because it became about helping us achieve our dream for our friends and family and not just, hey, buy our book and see if you like it or not and tell your friends. Like it was a much different perspective. But I mean, he went and got a, you know, it's Nashville. So, I mean, he asked, I guess, a couple waiters or waitresses and he found a singer and, uh, you know, he came to their house and he, he, he took some of the original songs that these artists in our story sang and he made it a little acoustic country flair on some of them. And he would play one of the songs from the book and then we would get up and talk about it. And there were a ton of people there. And, you know, we were able to sell a bunch of merchandise that night, but it wasn't really because, you know, they were there because they'd heard good things about the book. They were there to support our dream. And without somebody like Brandon Palmore, I don't think that we would have ever put that together. Very cool. Oh, I like that. I like the idea of doing things like that, the alternative or different avenues of marketing things. And it becomes more of an experience and you get to share that experience with people who then become lifelong fans. So with that in mind, what's next for you guys? Oh, we want to, we want to continue to, to get this, this thing out into the world and, and, <laughs> and get it, this thing exposed to as many people, but we would like to ultimately write a trilogy of stories in this particular line of stories, you know, classic eighties kids, man, we got to hit a trilogy. I love it. Well, because every story needs a beginning, a middle and an end. Right. And that's the beauty of a trilogy. You have a beginning, you have a middle, you have an end, but all that to say, you know, we want a tight, compact beginning, middle and end story. And we're really excited to to get to that in the coming years. It'll be a while, but in the coming years, we will write book two and three. (laughs) A big thanks to Jay and Kyle for taking the time to share the stories with us. And thank you for taking the time to hang with me here. As always, I really do appreciate it. Please follow, share, and connect on all the socials. I would really love to hear from you. You can do that and find the links to everything mentioned over at jfranzi.com slash episode 49. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Make sure you visit us at jfranzi.com. Follow, connect, and say hello. This episode has been brought to you by VR Knives, your source for 100% custom knives made by a true rock star. So if you're in the market for a new piece of art, reach out to VR Knives. 407-421-5528. 407-421-5528.